Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. This Sunday we take a little break of our Gospel of John series and concentrate on a passage in Revelation 3. One of the things mentioned here as well as in other passages is an open door. Sean Visser will explain more about this door today. What does the door stand for and what does it mean that it is open? And concerning us, can we walk through this door and how can we walk through this door? And finally, what is behind it? Well, join us now for this sermon titled, The Open Door, Trust in Weakness. We are celebrating Mother's Day today. Um, and uh, on the way here, on the radio, I heard something quite quite funny. Um, the moderators were just talking about how it's Mother's Day and how, of course, because it's Mother's Day, the weather is nice. So I was inclined to call them and ask them if they couldn't like make every day Mother's Day because I could get used to this weather, definitely. <laughs> But anyway, um, Mother's Day for us, us also means that we will be taking a small break from our series in John, and um, I think we will continue that again next week. Yeah, I would like to use this day to just use also this nice weather we have and um, to take a deep breath of fresh air, just to breathe in and breathe out. I know it's, it sounds ri ridiculous and quite difficult because we're all wearing masks and uh, we've been in lockdown for so long, so... Fresh air is not something we are really used to. Um, it's something that has been quite rare, actually. But nonetheless, it's important for us to take this, take this time over and over again for ourselves to, to step back and to refresh, to just not only physically and mentally, but spiritually take this breath of fresh air. Um, so... Shops have reopened last week, and um, with the ongoing vaccination efforts, it seems like in the very first time in a long time that we are taking steps towards ending this pandemic, towards coming back to a kind of normality. And I think that's a great relief for all of us. It's, um, I think the most example, uh, most or the biggest example for me, and maybe the thing I'm also most um, happy about, I could say. Um, is that the shops opened last week. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so finally we have um, reason and the possibility to spend money again. I mean, no. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> We're all out of money now, so um, that doesn't work either. Although I must confess, I think the shops opened on Monday. And I think by Monday, 12 o'clock, I was already downtown just looking through the shops and just looking at stuff. So, well... <clears throat> But I think what's really great about the shops opening again and um, is, or what we have learned also is that how much we appreciate open doors, how much we appreciate walking through the city and not just seeing those closed signs everywhere and not being able to go anywhere. But I think the pandemic has also taught us that these open doors, they are only temporarily. Um, an open door today doesn't mean it has to be open tomorrow. I mean, in Austria, shops are closed on Sundays anyway. And depending how everything works out, everything might go into a lockdown again. Um, but in today's sermon, and this sigh of relief, this fresh air that I want to be looking at, this spiritual fresh air that we have to catch, is a door that can't be closed again. It's a door that, uh, which is written, when it's opened, it shall be closed by no one. And that's what I want to look at, us, uh, look, uh, at together today. Um, this door that we have been promised that will never close for us. And 
closed doors that will never open for us. And if you want to read it together with me, you can find the passage in Revelation 3, verses 7, uh, yeah, verse 7 to 13. Um, and there we can read. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that none may see your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's been quite a time that, quite some time that we've had conversations with one another, but I think this, this, um, sentence like live a good and moral life, honesty and being there for one another. That's what really matters. How can you claim that there's only one true religion? And isn't it arrogant to say that your faith is superior to everyone else's? What gives the right for you to try to convince everyone else that you are right about this Jesus guy? It's, isn't it a lot more true that there's a bit of truth in every single religion and after all, all are there for the benefit of its believers. Um, I would argue that most of you had one of these conversations before, heard these arguments, be it at work, at uh, university, at school, or even at home or with friends. And I think even though we live in this very traditional um, Catholic-influenced country, that the opinion on religion and faith, this one, is the most widespread today, that Every religion is kind of true or everything kind of leads to the same point. So is it true that all religions contain some truth and in fact point to the same goal? And throughout the centuries, um, Jews, Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, they've all tried to answer that question their very own way. The question of how to access heaven, uh, the question of the afterlife of eternity, of life after death. So Islam, it builds on the five pillars of faith, which we can see very much in, during Ramadan now. The Buddhists, they have this noble eightfold path of enlightenment, and Hindus seek to break out of this cycle of rebirth through karma. And for an ever-increasing amount of people today, none of these things matter at all. To them, the door to heaven is wide open. Just like the shops now, everything is wide open. Everyone has access. And this postmodern view, I think it's summed up best by um, Oprah Winfrey, who, who said, 
One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. There are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. So we should ask ourselves, who can really say who is saved or not? Who is right and who is wrong? And is there an absolute truth after all? So this deep breath that I want us to take, this, this fresh air, should not only be the answer to a question, but it shall be a reminder for us that we have to, we have to focus on this one truth again and again, because it's so easy to come back to Jesus day after day just with our problems and what is going wrong and the storm that we are bringing to him to ask him to calm it. But so often we forget that actually the reason why we are drawn to him is this one truth, this one promise that he has given us, this one open door. So this letter to the church in Philadelphia we read of here was a letter actually to seven churches in the area in Asia Minor. And this church in Philadelphia, it's special in a way because it has suffered a lot. It's had an earthquake in 17 AD, which left most of the city destroyed. And after this total destruction, it was rebuilt. But then the church was again persecuted and oppressed by the Jews living there. And we read that when it says the church was lacking strength. It says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one's able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So they were not strong. They weren't influential. The members of the church, they probably didn't hold high positions in the local government, in politics, or even where they were working. It's rather quite the opposite, because we read they had little power. They didn't enjoy a high status in society. They didn't go out and shape society. They didn't go out and take part in every discussion and try to steer politics and everything this or that way. They tried to merely survive in it. I think, especially now, that's sometimes how we feel, that we just have to survive society. That once the topic of faith is being touched, it's straight away try to be put off stage. It's, uh, society does everything to shut it down, to say religion, we have to put it in this box, bury it, and just keep it to yourself. It's a personal issue. And I think I, I remember then the events in 2019 when the Awakening Europe was taking place in Vienna. Um, there were discussions all over and churches and uh, everyone was taking a, a position about it. But the reactions from media and politics were statements that religion should just remain this personal opinion that they shouldn't be in the Stadthalle, they shouldn't be celebrating with thousands and thousands of people. And um, one politician even released a statement saying, Es ist peinlich, wenn sich ein Altkanzler an fundamentalistische religiöse Sekten anbietet und für sich beten lässt. Gefährlich wird es, wenn er den Religionskampf dieser Sekten unterstützt. So, it's embarrassing when a former chancellor um, ingrat uh, ingratiates himself with fundamentalist religious sects and lets himself be prayed for and becomes dangerous when he supports the religious struggles of these sects. So you see what they're doing there. They're trying to take everything, spin it around and say, well, religion, faith has nothing to do with our society. Just get it out. And back then... 
It was the same thing. The, the people tried to distance themselves from those peoples and ideas. But what was Jesus' answer to it? Jesus said, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of this weakness they were experiencing, Jesus pointed out their accomplishments. He pointed out that they had kept his word, that they have not denied his name, that they were true and faithful to him. So think about it yourselves. When, when you had those discussions with people, have you denied Jesus' name? When you were asked point blank if you were um, a Christian by, let's say, a family member or a friend or a colleague, did you say that you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Or what did you answer? Were you ever concerned to be found out that you were a Christian, like at uni or at school? Maybe it's not even so much what you've said, but your actions. It's that you just try to follow the current, just try to be part of the flow. Don't stand out at all costs. Don't let even the opportunity arise to have anyone ask you to give testimony. Give in to the pressure of society. Be accepted, be liked. But Jesus, he warns us in Mark 8, where he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. But to those who didn't give in to the pressure to the church in Philadelphia. In front of them, Jesus, he sets an open door. He says, I know your works. I've set before you an open door. So what exactly is this door then? I mean, some, some argue that this door represents the opportunities we have to give a testimony on earth it's the opportunity to go out and spread the gospel, to go on a missions trip, to, yeah, to be exemplary in this world. And um, many verses in the Bible also support that, that theory. But what I really think this open door describes is not an open door to the world, but an open door to the Father himself, and an open door that really matters. Because if we read on in Revelations 4, it says, after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. So, Back in Revelation 7, I mean, here we see this open door, the door to the throne. And back in Revelation 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David. This key that we read is a reference to Isaiah 22, um, where the servant Eachim uh, is given the key, where it says, And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. So there in the Old Testament, we see the servant who decides who gets access to the king, who can have an audience at the king, who is allowed into the throne room. And 
Just the same way that David is the king of the Old Testament. He is the, the man after God's heart, the, the one and only true king of the Old Testament. He is pointing out to the one and only true ultimate king, which is our heavenly father. And thus, he's also pointing out true to the one and only true ultimate kingdom, which is heaven. And we know that in the New Testament, that Jesus is the one that holds that key, that he alone decides who comes to the Father and who doesn't, that he alone is the way to have an audience at, in the throne room. And it says in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So isn't that a great reason for us to rejoice, to be happy that this door that we see now is not an open door which can be closed again, but it's an open door that has been opened by Jesus Christ himself, by the one who, when he opens, no one will close. So even for you and me and for us as a church, when we have this little power, when we feel weak, when we feel lost, it is not our accomplishment. It's not us trying to hold this door open. It's Jesus who opened it. So the church in Philadelphia, like they were struggling, they were feeling overwhelmed, they were feeling those walls crashing in around them, but they also had this, this promise that neither unemployment or sickness or oppression or persecution or for us a broken heart, the corona pandemic, um, or in Romans, where we read, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, once you've confessed your sins to him and acknowledged that he has paid it all, that he's not just your Lord in this storm or to open these and these little small doors in your life, but that he's Lord of all, that he has opened that one door that really matters, then you have been granted admission to heaven. Then you have been granted admission to an eternal life to an eternal hope. And so let this be an encouragement to you that the only thing that you and I, that we contributed to our salvation is our sin. It's not our works. It's not our righteousness. It's not that I'm such a good person and I've, I'm so much better than 99% of the world. So that's why God must grant me admission. But the only thing that I contributed from myself to my salvation is the sin that I brought to the cross. Everything else, everything else that grants me admission through that open door is Jesus' work. It's completely and fully the work of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why, as Christians, we should carry this unconditional joy. That's why we can go through the city even when the shops are closed and be happy and joyful because the one door that we want to go through is open for us. And the one who holds the key to the open door also holds the key to death and Hades. He has shut a door for us that no one will open. 
Revelation 1.18 said, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. But that brings us all the way back to this question that how can we claim now that Jesus, who we know lived and was part of history, just like everyone of, uh, else of us is, that he has the authority to do so? And the simple answer to that is because he has the authority. Um, if you haven't watched it yet, um, there's been a very good um, series online called The Chosen. It's a Christian series crowdfunded um, by individuals around the world, and I really highly recommend it to everyone. Um, there they are trying to give the gospel accounts in a storytelling format, which is also great to share with friends, but it also makes these accounts that we have in the Bible, who, which we sometimes just flip over and read through, it gives them a story and a personality behind it. And um, the beginning of season two was very powerful for me because um, we see there how John, uh, the gospel writer John, he struggles to find the right words to to open this great story of of Jesus to start and to give the right introduction to Jesus and all that he has experienced with him. And he feels like the moment he has something, he needs to go back further because Jesus was before that even and God was before that and this plan had been in place before that. And so he goes back all the way further and further until in the end he goes all the way to the beginning. And so today, the Gospel of John, as we read it, it starts with the words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus has the authority because he's not just some creation, something that God made it just stepped into history at some point, but he is the one who was with the Father from the very beginning, who laid the foundation of the earth and who then only decided to intervene and to lead this way back to salvation. Also here in Revelation we read Jesus the Holy One and the True One. So he's given the authority of the Holy One, of God being without blemish and being the true one, whatever he says will happen. His word is truth, and just as he speaks something, it happens. But can we remind ourselves of that promise today? Do we take the time to step back and take this breath of fresh air? Or do we just, anytime we are running and feel like we're out of breath, just go to Jesus, stop a moment, okay, and then keep sprinting on? Or do we really sit down? Do we sit down with our Bible? Do we sit down and just look at these simple few verses to remind ourselves that all this struggle, all this pain, all this suffering is not out of his hand. It's not something that God is trying to force us through, but it's something that he is walking us through, that he is carrying us through. Are you aware that God is 
there in your struggle, that he knows the little power you have, the weakness that we are facing, that persecution, oppression, unemployment, sickness, or even the wounded heart, the broken heart for some of us. Do we give in when the world is trying to tell us that this door is shut again, that everything in our life is going so bad that there can't be this open door, that there can't be this hope? Or does this actually give you strength, as it did for Paul in Second Corinthians, where he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Weakness in the, uh, in the eyes of the world, it's a, it's a defect. It's something that must be eradicated. It's something that makes us small, unimportant. But for us, weakness should be a reminder of the power of Christ. The moment where the disciples thought that Jesus was the weakest, that he was defeated when he was on the cross, that was the moment in history where he displayed the ultimate power of salvation, where he displayed his ultimate power over death. So let ourselves be carried by God for the sake of Christ, as we see. Um, I, we had a little tile at home, maybe some of you also had it, it was a really beautiful poem written on it, and I think we had it hung in our hallway. So anytime I went like to the bathroom, I would read it. And it was a poem by Margaret Fishback Powers. And it read, One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once, uh, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed during, during the saddest and the most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, My precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And uh, as it is Mother's Day today, I think it's only fitting that I also end with a story with my mother. <laughs> um, it's just uh, very recently, a few weeks ago, that uh, we were sitting in the kitchen after dinner and just having a conversation, talking about all sorts of things, about yeah, how everything had been growing up and uh, also about the big change that will be coming in the summer for me and 
when I am approaching this next chapter in my life, and we happened to, uh, talked about all these things that happened and that did not happen, and we talked about the highs and the lows and all the struggles and excitements and joys that we have had in our lives so far. We reminisced on the good times and reflected on the struggles that we had. And then we also came to the topic of motherhood and parenthood. And she shared about the challenges that she faced um, raising two very well different boys, I would say. I mean, whoever knows Michael and me knows we are... Well, we we feel, we feel the entire spectrum of boys that you can have, I guess. <laughs> but when I then asked her what her greatest accomplishment was as our mother, what the thing was that he she bore the most pride and that gave her the most joy, it was for her without hesitation that her two sons had come to know Jesus and accept Him as their Lord and Savior. That we had realized that this open door is there for us and will never shut. That even for the next, I hope, maybe 55, 60 years, something that I'll have, that I will know this to be true and that all the struggles and all the trials that even my mom had, that all those won't, that when I've experienced them, they won't bring me away from this basic fundamental truth. So it doesn't matter if you're a student now, if you're a teenager, if you're an adult, if you're already a grandparent. This open door, this, this fact shall be the greatest joy in our lives. That to see others and the ones we care about following that path should be the one thing or the thing that we rejoice about. Because when the world is overwhelming, when life is overwhelming, when even motherhood is overwhelming... It's time then again to take a deep breath. Because once the storm is calmed, we, we don't get anything of it if we just run into the next storm. But we have to enjoy this calm. We have to enjoy the peace that we experience with Jesus only. We have to sit by his side and let this simple truth change everything. Knowing that as we walk out again into the world, the doors won't shut, that they will stay open. And so that's why I want to encourage you to not be, uh, feel dismayed. And let me end with this one encouraging promise that we read at the end of today's passage, where it says, or where Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as we go out, let us be reminded of these three new identity, identities that we are given the identity that we are the people of God, the identity that our citizenship is an eternal one in heaven, and the identity that we are nothing but Jesus, that his name is written upon ours. So let us pray.
Father, we thank you that you have given us this, well, this simple truth, this simple promise, this simple thing that we can hold on to, this great reminder that you have opened a door for us that no one will shut, that all that is happening in this world, all the troubles and trials we are going through, that yeah, that they can't take a claim on our soul, that they can't take a claim on ourselves because we are in you and no one will ever separate us from your love. Would help us to be there for one another, to remind ourselves and each other that yeah, that we can live free of this fear, of this doubt, of this worry. Pointed out in our lives that yeah, that we as we walk through open doors, as we as we uh, are stuck in front of closed doors in our lives, that we are reminded that there's one thing that is more important always, and that is you. Help us to find our identity in you. Help us to be a light and yeah, full of joy share this, this promise that you have given. And Lord, thank you that, yeah, that you ask us to behold, to behold before these great things that you have given us, that you're telling us to take a step back and to just marvel at it, to be in awe of what you have done. So, yeah, when you calm the storms in our life, Lord, help us also to just take this step back and to marvel at you. Give us peace and joy as we go out through these doors into the world, as we yeah, as we are back in our everyday life, that um, yeah, that we know that our heart and our mind is with you always, and you are with us. Thank you, yeah. Thank you once again for for your sacrifice, for your blood at the cross, that you have washed us clean. And yeah, I pray that yeah, that we can rest in this promise forever. Amen.